Uh, For those of you that are new with us tonight, we've been in a series from Isaiah chapter 53, one of the most incredible passages in all of the New Testament. And Isaiah, by the power of the Holy Spirit, 700 years before Jesus walked on planet Earth, was given an incredible revelation of the suffering servant who we're going to focus on tonight. And we talked about last Sunday, only a matter of days ago, we started off this week in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. And I want you to follow on the screen, or if you have your Bibles here tonight, please open up to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. This passage deals with the Lamb of God, our sinless Lamb, and our substitute. We're going to talk about that substitution tonight because the fact that He took our place means that that led Him to the cross. And that's why we're here tonight, is to remember the cross. But the Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 5, But He, Jesus, was pierced for our rebellion. He, Jesus, was crushed for our sins. Jesus was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. That verse succinctly captures the incredible substitutionary atonement that Jesus performed on our behalf. Notice it starts off with He, Jesus, referring to Himself, but it ends in the plural. Our and we. It's talking about all of our sin. All of what we did. that's That's the transference that's taking place. And I think it's important on a night like tonight because we can get lost in the plural We need to make it personal. How many of you know we're here tonight because Jesus died for my rebellion? And he died for your rebellion. He died for my sins. The sins of Pastor Ron Johnson, that's who he died for, and he died because you sinned. He died so that I could be whole. I don't know about you, but I hope you reach out in faith tonight and you appropriate the fullness of why Jesus died. And there's, here's the fullness, so that you could be whole in every way. That's what Jesus died for, so you could be whole, and so I could be whole. And lastly, Jesus died so that I could be healed. And again, I want you to reach out and say, you know what? If you're less than completely healed, which is all of us, then the rest of our lives we should be pursuing the one who died so that we could be whole so that we can move in the joy of the Lord, so that we can move in the life that he provided for us. Abundant life, life that should make the world jealous because of who we are and because of what we've been given. Jesus Christ took my place and your place. That's the great substitute that happened. In fact, we went back to the Day of Atonement, Leviticus chapter 16, where Jesus Christ was the scapegoat. God was the one who placed the sin of the world on the head of Jesus. And tonight we look to the cross and we look to that crown of thorns that's hanging there above the cross beam and it reminds us that that cross was symbolic of sin and of the curse and Jesus Christ took my curse and your curse upon himself on the cross the powerful picture there of those thorns that were made into a mocking crown but Jesus was king of the curse and he broke the curse for us in fact the Bible says in first Peter chapter 2 verse 24 he Jesus personally carried our sins in his body on the cross. Aren't you grateful for that? Personally carried your sins and my sins in his body on that cross. If it were not for the fact that God is just, there would be no demand for his son to suffer and to die. But aren't you grateful that God is also a God of love? 
And because he's a God of love, there was a willingness for the Son of God to suffer and to die on our behalf. And I want you to see again that at that cross, there is a massive collision taking place between the justice of God and the love and the mercy of God. And those two forces collide in the person of Jesus Christ. It was a violent collision. The love of God and the mercy of God kissing at the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the sinless lamb, absorbing the wrath of God and bearing the curse that was due us so that all who trust him would have their sins forgiven and and receive newness of life. The Bible says in Galatians 3 verse 13, when he was hung on the cross, Jesus, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a cross. Jesus, the sinless lamb of God, is our substitute. Can you say amen? He becomes the sacrifice for our sin. He takes my curse and your curse upon himself. That was a review of Sunday. But let's talk tonight about the slaughter of the lamb. And I use that term slaughter on purpose because the cross was a violent slaughter, a bloody slaughter, an execution of the innocent, sinless, spotless lamb of God who took our place. What's amazing in the Bible is when you read the account of the crucifixion, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, they are all simply in unison in how they report the crucifixion. And that's all that they say. Isn't that amazing? They simply said that they nailed him to the cross. How many of you know it was almost as if the Holy Spirit did not want to make the obscenity of the cross something that people could look at and and gloat in or mock or in any way uh, look at in an ungodly way? How many of you know all that Jesus went through, stripped naked, beaten beyond recognition, and hung on a cross, all that the gospel writers say under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that they nailed him to the cross. Crucifixion was the most cruel method of execution ever practiced because it mixed the maximum torture with the maximum amount of time. It had to come from the pit of hell. It had to be inspired by demons uh, through, through people who were godless to think, in what way can I possibly create a method to, to get the maximum amount of pain and torture before somebody actually succumbed to death? In fact, this is interesting. Cicero said in one of his speeches that crucifixion was a, quote, most cruel and disgusting punishment. And as we shared in week one of this series, we talked about the word treason, human treason against the Son of God and the King of glory. Roman citizens were exempt from crucifixion because it was so despised and so hideous. But I want you to hear this. The only time a Roman citizen would be crucified is in the instance of treason. Isn't it interesting that the one who's the legitimate king of glory, the king of earth, the Lord of all creation, the one who, who deserves our worship and our celebration, right? He dies on the cross in Roman sense as a traitor, as a treasonous rebel. He takes your place in my place. Isaiah, though, this is amazing. The gospel writers are largely silent, but the Holy Spirit gives Isaiah and insiders a view of what was going to take place 700 years later uh, on the cross. Look with me at verse 7. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 7, Jesus was oppressed and treated harshly. King James says afflicted, yet he never said a word. 
And here's that word slaughter. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Isaiah saw the suffering servant being treated harshly. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 50, this is a vision again he had from the Holy Spirit of Jesus. It says in Isaiah 50 verse 6, I offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. And I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting. Obviously, this is a picture of what Christ was going to endure centuries later. In fact, what we do learn from the gospel writers, we learn that when Jesus was before Annas, he was slapped in the face by the temple guard. We know that when he was before Caiaphas in Matthew chapter 26, it says, uh, verse 67 and 68, they began to spit in Jesus' face and they beat him with their fists. And some of them slapped him and jeering, they said this to Jesus, prophesy to us, you Messiah. Who hit you that time? Obviously, Jesus was blindfolded at the time, and I don't know if you could imagine the the agony of standing there, uh, blindfolded and having soldiers come up to you repeatedly while you cannot see or defend yourself and repeatedly pummel you in the face and then mock and jeer and spit in your face as they made fun of who you are. When he was before Pilate, Pilate had him scourged. In fact, it says in John 19, verse 1, that Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. Of course, the soldiers joined in the party in Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 19. It says this, The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters called the Praetorium, and they called out the entire regiment, and they dressed him, Jesus, in a purple robe, and they wove thorn branches into a crown, and they put it on Jesus' head, and they saluted him, and they taunted him. Hail, King of the Jews! They struck him on the head with a reed stick. They spit on him. They dropped to their knees in mock worship. And by the time it was all over, you could not even recognize that it's Jesus. In fact, we go back to Isaiah. And in perhaps one of the most graphic depictions of what we are remembering tonight, Isaiah in chapter 52, verse 14, gives this testimony. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know that he was a man. I mean, you know, that right there deserves our remembrance. Jesus' face, one swollen mass. Jesus' nose probably broken. Jesus' eye sockets bloodied and swollen. Jesus' teeth probably knocked out of his mouth. Jesus' beard ripped out. Spit running down his face. And they said you couldn't even tell it was a human being. That's the graphic picture that Isaiah saw. Centuries before. Now, I just have to pause again. How can you be a skeptic in light of the fact that 700 years before this happens, it perfectly describes exactly what Jesus is going to go through for you? And there's, two, there's, there's only two responses to what we're talking about. You can kneel like the guards and mock him and spit in his face and act like he's not who he says he is. Or you can stand in awe that somebody so amazing would go through something so hideous 
treasonous rebels like you and, for, and me. But that's what the gospel tells us. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, no one would scarcely knew that he was even a human being. But what's next is even more amazing or equally amazing and equally awesome and worth remembering. Because the Bible goes on, and let's read verses 7 and 8 together. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. And no one cared that he died without descendants or that his life was cut short in midstream. What's amazing is that in the face of incredibly grave injustice, Jesus keeps his mouth shut. He was declared innocent by Herod once and by Pilate three times. Of course, the trial we know was illegal. He remained silent before the high priest and before Pilate and Herod. In fact, the only time Jesus spoke was when Pilate said to him, are you the Messiah? And Jesus said, even as you said. And then he said, I'm going to be coming, by the way, exalted, a place of honor, coming in the clouds. And that was enough to cause everybody to go into a demonic frenzy because Jesus, the one time he spoke, simply acknowledged that what he said was true and that he was indeed the Messiah. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, he did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Can I just tell us tonight that in following the footsteps of Jesus, I can't think of a better time than on Good Friday to deal with our unforgiveness and our anger and our disappointment and our feelings of vengeance or our feelings of revenge that might be in our heart towards people that have done us wrong or mistreated us. How many of you know if the sinless Lamb of God could take upon himself all the injustice and wickedness and hate and his final words on the cross, you know, Father, forgive them. And here's what he did. He took justice that was due him, and instead of grabbing it, you know, we sing that great hymn of the faith. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and for me. That's called humility, and that's called meekness. It's not weakness, it's meekness. It's strength under control. It's strength submitted to God. Listen, it's strength that's submitted to a higher authority. He basically said, Father, I commit myself and all of this injustice into your hands, and I trust you to vindicate me. Can I just say this is an important lesson for believers to learn, especially in the times that we're coming into when Christianity and Christians in general are kind of falling out of public uh, embrace and, and public uh, affirmation. Uh, it is a great time to remember that if we're following in the footsteps of Jesus, we're not always going to be understood. We're not always going to be celebrated. We're not always going to be loved. We're not always going to be cheered. In fact, just the opposite. The Bible says if you're really a follower of Jesus, just the opposite is going to happen. How many of you know we need to follow Jesus and sometimes zip our lips? And we need to trust that you know what, sometimes when wrong is done to you, you can put it in the hands of somebody greater and say, Lord, I just trust my future. I trust our church. I trust my family. I trust my life. I trust you to handle this situation, Father. That's what Jesus did. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. You know, here's where we see the beauty and the sinless character of the Lamb. He was patient 
and he endured under the most adverse situations. He had meekness in the face of oppression and cruelty, humility and self-control under duress. Not a word of self-defense, no demanding of his rights. I love this, just cheerful compliance to the Father's will. Cheerful compliance. The Bible says, you know what? Nobody cared. Nobody raised their voice. Nobody came to his defense. It says nobody cared that he died without descendants. Nobody cared that he was executed. Nobody came to his, his side. Nobody stood up, came to his defense. In fact, there was a custom in his time that when somebody was uh, in a trial that was a trial for capital offense or execution, all right, that the person who was under trial was given a 40-day period once the verdict was given for people to step up and to speak to the innocence of the one who is set for execution. So once the verdict was made, 40 days for people to come forward and say, no, 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 this, this person is innocent. This person is not guilty of what they've been charged. 40 days to come to the defense. But, of course, we know there was no 40-day period. We know that nobody stood up and, and spoke to Jesus' innocence. In fact, 40 days were to pass uh, before the declaration of death and execution, uh, but that didn't happen. In fact, they tried him in the middle of the night, and as dawn broke, they sent him to Pilate in a process that resulted in his death that very next afternoon. So Jesus had nobody that came to his aid. The Bible says in verses 7 through 9, when he was struck down for the rebellion of the people, he had, no, he had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But I want you to see this, this crowning touch and this beautiful little insight here right at the very end of this passage. He was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. I love the detail again of the inspired word of God. What is the significance of this last little bit here? The Bible says again, he was buried between two criminals, two thieves. You all know the story. But he did not die and, and uh, go through a burial like a criminal. Somebody came to his defense. Somebody at that point said, wait, may I have the body? And I want you to see who this somebody was because we find out about him in Matthew chapter 27, verses 57 and 58. It says, as evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate issued an order to release it to him. Now, this is interesting. In John's Gospel, uh, chapter 19, verse 38, Joseph is called a secret disciple. I want to encourage us here today that now's a good time. If you've been following Jesus in secret, it's time to come public, all right? Nobody came to Christ's defense prior to his crucifixion and execution. But I do want you to know courage has a way of inspiring people. Courage has a way of inspiring people. And Joseph was a secret believer in Jesus, but the Bible says he was a good man. He was an honorable man. And after he watched what happened to Jesus, he decided it was time not to be a secret disciple. And he went forward and he asked for the body of Jesus. I want you to see something here because this is why I love the Word of God. This is why I love the power of the Holy Spirit to give us insight into situations that Isaiah could not even have known. Who could have seen, again, seven centuries before it actually happened, that this suffering servant would die between two wicked 
people, two, two people who deserve to, to have it, the, the, you know, the death of a thief all right, or whatever, the death of a criminal. Jesus is crucified between two criminals. But God says, oh, no, 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 no. My son whose sacrifice has been made on that cross, my son who declared with his own mouth it is finished, will not be buried like a criminal. I'm going to begin to honor my son and honor his sacrifice and honor his courage and honor his obedience and honor his righteous death on behalf of you and me. And I'm going to make sure my son is buried like a man in honor, like a wealthy man, like royalty. I'm going to make sure my son is buried that way. Now, this is such a tiny little thing in the scriptures, all right? But it's such a huge thing. Because what it screams is, you know, here's what God's saying. I know it's Friday, but I'm already honoring my son. I've already watched him suffer and die. I've already watched him take on himself the wrath of my holy justice upon himself. I've watched him forgive in the most horrific situations. I've watched them beat my beloved son to a pulp. I've watched him be nailed to a cross, and I've watched him give up his life willingly, ready for this, so that he could have the bride he's always longed for. And when he says it is finished, God the Father is listening in. And God says, my son does not deserve to die like a criminal. My son is going to be buried in a rich man's tomb, and my son is going to be conferred with honor even in the place of his burial. Now, three days later, that tomb is going to be only used right for a short time because <laughs> God is getting ready to do something amazing. But I love this part, and I, I, I just, out of all, this whole passage, touched my heart more than anything to see that God would touch a man who had formerly been a secret disciple and says, it's time not to be secret anymore. I have need of you. Uh, you know that tomb that you own? Yeah, I want you to use it for my son. And I want you to stop being a coward. And I want you to go to the main man, Pilate himself, and I want you to ask for the body of Jesus Christ. And I want you to give him a proper burial. In fact, I want you to give him a king's burial. I want you to give him a rich man's burial. Uh, because in a moment of time, in a matter of days, he's going to come out with great glory. And he's going to come out the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And he's going to rule and reign forever and ever and ever. Ah, Can I just encourage us? We are living in such a time. And I just feel this in my spirit. Such a time where the world is longing to see authentic lovers of Jesus, people that are full of passion for God, not in a religious sense. How many of you know the world is sick of religion? There's going to be all kinds of religious displays over the next two days. The world's had enough of it. There's nothing in hollow, empty religion. There's nothing in all the pageantry of, of the season that does anything to change people. What changes people is what took place on that cross and personalizing it and making sure that you have embraced the man Christ Jesus for your sin, that, that he's your substitute, and you embrace him as your substitute. And then you let the power of his resurrection so transform you that you don't live for yourself any longer. You don't live for your lust. You don't live for your ego. You don't live for your status or whatever. You live for the Son of God. 
That's what the church is. We live for the Son of God. Something so radical happened on that cross that it turned our world upside down. And I want to ask you tonight, this is always a great time for a Holy Ghost gut check, is it not? The songs we sung tonight, or sang tonight, I don't know if you, anyway, you, we, saw, we sang them, sung them, whatever. That was good, wasn't it? <laughs> Such amazing truth. We declared the Apostles' Creed tonight. We, we declared the foundational beliefs that, listen to me, that we should be willing to die for. I tell you, in a time when people are casting away truth to the left and to the right, a time when people are not willing to stand up for anything that flies in the face of controversy, I'm just telling you it's time for the Church of Jesus Christ to stand up and to start confessing what we believe and then living what we confess. Unashamedly, with great boldness, with great zeal, leaving nothing back, knowing that we've left our all for the sake of the one who gave his all for us. This is the logic of what we do here tonight. How could the sinless, spotless Lamb of God go through what he went through for you and for me, and how can our response be anything less than the giving fully of ourselves to him and to his purposes? Anything, anything less is a mockery. Anything less is just a religious expression. And God forbid that we're here tonight just having a religious gathering, a ceremonial gathering, a religious holiday. We're here tonight to encounter the man Christ Jesus. And here's what I love about the crowd that's been here tonight. I sense the presence of Jesus in this place tonight as people worshiped him unashamedly and passionately. And I pray tonight for all of us that we leave here with a fresh sense of fire in our spirits and genuine, authentic love for God that changes our lives and a desire in the culture that we're living in today to be more radical, more set apart, more passionate, more loving, more kind, more forgiving, more real for Jesus than we've ever been in our lives. That's what I'm feeling in my heart tonight. I want to respond. Amen. Stand to your feet with me, and can we just respond to the sacrifice of the Son of God tonight by presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice? And I want to give an invitation tonight to everybody within the sound of my voice and those that are listening online. Where are you with Jesus Christ? Where is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ? If you're far from Him, the good news is we just humble ourselves and we repent and we just say, Jesus, Forgive me, and Jesus, come into my life. And I believe there are people here that maybe you've never done that, but tonight is your night. Tonight is your night to respond to the radical love of Jesus Christ for you. And it's as simple as responding in faith and saying, I believe what Jesus did for me, and I receive it. And Lord, forgive me for my sin and my part in nailing you to the cross. Pray in your heart. Ask the Lord to come into your life, to be your Savior. And you know what? Before you leave this place tonight, turn to somebody and just say, you know what? I invited Christ to be my Savior tonight. Tell somebody before you leave this building tonight. Father, we give ourselves to you in response to your crazy, unbelievable, awesome uh, sacrifice, God, for me and for everybody in this room. 
We give you our hearts. We give you our lives. We give you our rebellion. We give you our sin. We give you those parts of us, Lord, that still resist you. Holy Spirit, will you please conquer every part of our lives that wants to resist the amazing love of God for us. Lord, we humble our hearts and we say, Jesus, take us tonight. Take us tonight. Take us tonight. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for this moment, Lord. May we live lives worthy of your sacrifice for us. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Amen.